Welcome to Miyagi Mornings Weekly Recap, a podcast version of our daily video series, Miyagi Mornings. Links to the video version of each segment can be found in the show notes for this episode. These recap episodes are part of the Survival Podcast feed, but are numbered independently as a special weekly edition of our show in all podcast feeds. How's revenge? Daniel San, you look revenge that way. Start by digging to grave. Walk right side, safe. Walk left side, safe. Walk middle, sooner or later, get the squish just like grape. Hey, guys and gals, happy 2021. It is a new year. The first episode of Miyagi Mornings, the first of many episodes of Miyagi Mornings. Yes, we have returned along with the new year. And today, I was actually going to talk to you about the first of several systems I'm going to describe for fertility building using different small livestock, whether you're using chickens or ducks or quail or rabbits. I promise you that. That will come in segments throughout this new year. In fact, it should all be done in January. By the time we get to February, we should have covered that well. So if you're starting off with new livestock or have some livestock systems, you can start to really tie in those systems to your other productivity, whether you're growing food with them for yourself or food for them with their own waste products. We're going to be talking about some really cool, i got some stuff coming with that. But when I got, when I got on my uh, computer this morning and went through that mountain of stuff that happened during my shutdown, um, a particular comment on YouTube and several other less, so, less bad versions of this popped up, and I thought this would be a good thing to talk about today. The, the title of today's video and episode from Yagi Mornings is, You Can Make Progress or You Can Make Excuses, But You Can't Do Both. Right? I've, all, I've said this other way, so you can make money or excuses, but not both. And people always will say, politicians make excuses all the time. Yeah. We're not going to go there with that today. But I think progress maybe is a better way to put it. Because it's, it, it more takes away that natural desire to make excuses. Do people like immediately make an excuse about the, 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 the need to not make excuses? And that's where this all started. So I did a podcast. I think it was the last main podcast I did. I also did it as a video, put it out on the channels. And uh, it was basically, you can either build your world or live in the one, or, or live in theirs. That was the title of it. And it was basically how you can either do the types of things that we teach for self-sufficiency and self-reliance to build your own world through your own, whether it's production on a farm, whether it's income, your lifestyle, uh, working with other people, learning how to network, etc. Or you can live in the one that they're designing for you under what they're calling the Great Reset now. And that's a really shitty world, so you probably don't want to live in there. Well, this guy said, you know what? I really don't like being just like this. That's how it sounded when I read it, you know. I'm paraphrasing here. But basically, he said, you, you just sound like another angry white guy who's blaming poor people and black people for your problems or for the problems of the world, right? So that video said nothing about anybody's place in the world with income and certainly never referred to anybody's race in any way. So why does this person immediately go there? It's due to conditioning and training. And that's really more what I want to cover today. Because, see, people like that, they have a terminal illness, a terminal mental illness with this. Like, their odds of recovering from that place are incredibly low. And if they're ever going to recover from that place, they're going to have to break their training and, and fall back to their learning, their education. See, they think they're working on an education as far as what they're basing their things on. But they're not basing it on education. They're basing it on training. And that person's not ready for me or anybody that's like me yet in their walk. They, they, they have this tiny, finite chance to maybe break that training, but until they at least break it a little bit, to be blunt, they're fucked, right? They will never have shit in their life. So he's like, poor people can't do this. You have privilege to be able to afford a, a, a farm. Most people can't, don't have the privilege to be able to afford a farm. I said, let me restate that sentence for you. Most people do not have the work ethic and discipline to save to buy a farm. By the way, I don't own a farm. I own a three-acre residential property with about an inch and a half of soil on most of it on top of bedrock that I do all of this on, and 90% of what I produce, I produce in an area that would fit in the average suburban backyard. And I also said to this person, hey, look, I know a whole shitload of people, just a few mile radius around here. There's a shitload of poor-ass 
white people, by the way. Most of them are white. They live in like busted ass old trailers. They have plenty of land available, though. You could go live in a place like that and you could do these things for yourself, but you don't and they don't either because most people do not have the ethic and the discipline necessary to do the things to free them in their life. They want to blame other people. But this all comes from one common enemy, training, which has been done in the name of education in our education system. See, we're all subject to this This natural human bent. When something goes wrong, blame somebody else. When we don't have what we want, blame somebody else. It's always somebody else's fault. In the words of Homer Simpson, this is everybody's fault but mine. And if you actually look that episode up, he was literally the cause of every single problem. But that was his statement. This is everybody's fault but mine. I'm sorry, guys. It doesn't work that way. But like I said, we all go through this. Most of us grow out of it. This is very common when we're teenagers in our early 20s and we're struggling and we're so tired of struggling, we want to defer blame. But most of us, somewhere in that, we start to wake up and we do one thing, just one thing for ourselves that's hard. At least it seems hard at first and it makes us just a little bit better off. And even if we're not ready to fully state it or accept it yet, in the back of our little brain, back there, something says to us, hey, hey, dummy. You made your life a little better. Guess what? Maybe you could do that again. If you did that again, maybe it would get a little bit better. So we do. And we keep doing it. We come out of that stage naturally, and then we begin to build our lives. And what people say is, well, once you're successful, it's easy to think that way. No, stupid. You get that way by changing how you think. Your thinking drives your doing. Your thinking drives your actions. What's really sad for the current generation I'm talking people right now, especially in their 20s. And it amazes me that the majority of people claiming that white male privilege is why people like me are successful are young white males. The vast majority of you out there shrieking that. You're white males, and you're saying it's the white male patriarchy that's the cause of all the problems. Then why aren't you successful? Anyway, I digress. The reason you think that way is you've been trained versus taught. Teaching is helping someone to learn and enabling them to continue learning on their own. Training is conditioning an organism, any organism, and humans are not immune to this, so that they cannot respond differently to a situation when they're facing it. For a soldier, you train a soldier so that when he gets shot at, he knows how to take cover and how to return fire. That's a very unnatural thing to do. When somebody's shooting at you, the natural thing to do is get the hell out of there. But if you do that, all the people around you die. So to train them counter to their natural behavior so that they can take care of each other. You train a dog to sit. And you train that dog to sit, so if the dog is about to run out in the street, and you go, sit, the dog sits down. He doesn't get run over by a car. There's actually noble reasons to train things from dogs to vines. You can train a vine to grow a certain way up a tree. And that vine will grow that way. We can train a tree to be a bonsai tree. It's training. That's what these people have had happen to them. They've been trained to blame others for their inadequacies for 13 or more years, depending on whether they went to college or not, And in the last 20 years, it's been done consistently over and over and over again to the point where these people can't, they cannot respond differently. They can't do it. They have to respond this way because they've been conditioned to do so. And that's why I can't help them. The reason I did this episode today, though, is so you need to recognize that in yourself. When are you acting on your education and when are you acting on the training that you've received? And even if you think you're immune to this, you're not. We have all been trained in our society today and conditioned to respond a certain way. When you believe all the problems are because of Democrats, that's your training, not your teaching. When you believe all the problems are because of Republicans, that's your training, not your teaching. When you believe, I would be successful if only so-and-so would let me, that's your training, not your teaching. Because the educated mind says, how do I fix this problem for myself? How do I fix this problem for my neighbor? Not the reason I can't have this thing. See, the minute you say that, you're not going to have it. You've now told your mental computer, find me all the reasons I can't do this. And your mental computer's like, okay, you give me shitty code, I give you shitty results. The person who uses their education says, how can I get where I want to be? How can I have? And if you do that, that simple act will turn that mental computer on. It'll cause the most powerful self-learning algorithms in the world to kick in in that brain of yours. Break your training and find the path you can take. Because I bet you this person lives in a, I bet you this person's privileged enough to have a car. Bet they are. And I bet they're not like doing DoorDash or Uber Eats or something like that. Well, my car's not new enough to do Uber and that's taking a turn for the worse because of COVID. Blah, 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 blah. Wham! You can have any damn car in the world. You can do Uber Eats. 
I know a guy's making three or four hundred dollars a week doing that shit. If you can't save up enough to buy a decent little place to get started in, after a year of doing that and using that as your down payment and your financing and then using your income to fund it like everybody else in the grown-ass world does, you know what? Your problem is you. Your problem isn't anybody else. It isn't anybody else at all. Because I know a shitload of people who on paper are broke. They have almost no money. They live lives better than mine. Because they ask themselves, how can I live this lifestyle? Instead of, what excuse can I come up with as to why I can't have it? The choice is yours. And I'm telling you guys, even those of you that are crushing it, we have to fight this ourselves every day. Every time you think, but, as soon as that word comes up, you got to start saying to yourself, hold on, that's my training kicking in. Let's use the education here. One more time, guys. You can make progress or excuses. Never both. Catch you guys tomorrow with another episode. Hey, folks, Jack Spierko here with another episode of Miyagi Mornings coming to you on a chilly Tuesday morning. And uh, today we're going to talk about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general. We're going to zero in on something about Bitcoin. You saw the title of this video is Why is Bitcoin Valuable? I've heard a lot of people give explanations of this, but generally they come down on one side or the other of what I'm going to give you today. But I'm here to tell you, it's both sides. So let's start out with the side that a lot of people tend to use. And it's basically, they're talking about Bitcoin, but it's really, why is cryptocurrency valuable? Why is there any value in any... I mean, even if cryptocurrency is worth 50 cents, the fact that you have something that's been created by computers, by a private system, not backed by the government, how is that possible? Can't you just control C, control V your way to being a millionaire, even if it's worth 50 cents? You know, once you get 10, copy all those. Once you get 100, copy all those. And just boom, boom, boom. No, you can't. And that's a big part of why cryptocurrency is valuable. So what cryptocurrency does as a whole, and I'm not going to go into the difference between proof of work, proof of state, delayed proof of work, all that stuff. They just understand that they use mechanisms involving mathematics that allow for a token or a coin or a piece of a coin to have a number. And that number can't be duplicated, it can't be copied, you can't spend it somewhere else. In other words, it cannot be counterfeited, right? You cannot counterfeit a cryptocurrency, which would be what we call, in the crypto space, they call that double spend. There's been places where it's been pulled off, but it's been pulled off in the realm of, you know, hacking exchange using non-custodial wallets and things like that, or some other highly technical stuff we're not getting into today. But in general, it's incredibly secure, and it allows me, if Dana, my cat here behind me in the video, if she is a friend of mine in Istanbul, Turkey, or Sydney, Australia, or Timbuktu, or anywhere in the world, as long as Dana, who would have to be a person to do this, has a wallet address, I can send her money, and the government can't do diddly squat shit about it. And she knows, and I know, come on, cat, don't, now she's rubbing on the tripod creating vibrations anyway she knows and i know that it's legitimately real money that like if she goes to exchange it or spend it that it will be accepted for whatever it's trading at currently and if you think about this this is a huge reason that all the rich guys have offshore bank accounts it's so they can move money around without the government sticking their fingers in it it's not because they make so much more interest in the Bahamas. These type of rich people can make way more interest than a Bahamas bank account pays them. It's to keep their money out of the reach of government should something go wrong in the United States and the government comes after them. Bitcoin enables that. Bitcoin allows people that don't have a bank account to transact as if they had a bank account and circumvent the banking system. For all these reasons... But what it really comes down to is two people can do, do business in a trustless manner. I don't have to trust you to take Bitcoin from you. I know that once I have the verified transaction, I'm good. Here's and, and people will keep going on with this about explaining why Bitcoin is valuable. And if we go back when it was like Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum was all that existed, it's a pretty valid explanation. It didn't cease to be valid, but it doesn't explain why Litecoin's at like 130, 140 bucks. And Bitcoin's at like $31,000 this morning or something like that. It doesn't explain that differential. It doesn't explain why Bitcoin's so much more valuable. If it was only everything I just explained to you, guess what? Litecoin does that better and costs less to use. Litecoin's faster. It costs less to use. Now, the other thing that makes Bitcoin valuable, and this is something that's 
back in this kind of, I guess you'd call it side one of the argument, is it's finite in its numbers. There can only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. And by the way, that number really is more like 16 million because we know that millions of Bitcoin were lost forever when the whole thing started up and people mined it and lost laptops and things like that, and there's no way to recover it. There's also tremendous amounts of stranded Bitcoin, little tiny pieces of Bitcoin that are so small you can't afford to move them. So there's a lot less Bitcoin than the 21 million. Plus, we have it hasn't all been minted yet. And every three, I think it's every three years, the amount being created gets cut in half. It's a deflationary currency. So you could say, well, the reason Bitcoin's worth so much more than Litecoin is because there's 21 million Litecoin or 21 million Bitcoin or something like 83 or 75 million, somewhere in that number, significantly more Litecoin in the total market cap. Okay, fine, but there's other cryptocurrencies that have the same number of units or straight force of Bitcoin, and Bitcoin's worth more than them. So what makes Bitcoin king of the hill? Number one reason, first mover advantage. When there was no cryptocurrency, and then there was cryptocurrency the next day, the cryptocurrency that was there the next day was Bitcoin. First mover advantage in any sector, especially a disruptive sector, something that completely changes the world, the one that gets there first, as long as it's capitalized on. I'm looking at you, Kodak, who had the digital camera in the 1970s and went bankrupt in the 1990s. All right. So as long as it's capitalized on and main mainstream is tremendously hard to knock off. Some of you guys are old like me. You remember the days where we had beta and VCR, right? VHS tapes. VHS tapes simply got the market share first. Beta was a better technology. Then DVDs came along and then fully digital entertainment came along. Right. Same thing happened with, with you know, you had record albums and eight tracks didn't really capitalize so when the cassette came out it became king of the hill all the way up to the dvd but it took a complete earth-shattering shift to topple each one of those from that first mover advantage there's been no earth-shattering shifts in cryptocurrency since bitcoin there's been some real innovations and things that do things way better than bitcoin will ever hope to do but in the end they're still running the same fundamental underlying technology. You might call it proof of stake versus proof of work, but in essence, it is the same as the same as the same. It's a digital currency. And until you come up with a completely new way to do this, Bitcoin will maintain that first mover advantage unless the people that work on the technology itself lay back to the point where somebody truly surplants them in the minds and the confidence of the people using it. Doesn't matter if it works better. Beta was better than VHS. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. By the time, you know, you got to a point where people were even thinking about it, here's a DVD. All right. So until people change their mind about that, and it doesn't seem like it's going to be anytime soon. Next is Bitcoin has been referred to so many times, and some people really love this terminology, and some people really hate it, as digital gold. The people that hate it, I don't think they know what the informed people that use the terminology really mean. I use that terminology. I use it less and less now because there's so much confusion about what I mean. And I figure once people don't understand what I'm talking about, I'll just change my language. So I call being an anarchist more like being an agorist or a voluntarist. It means the same thing, but you understand it better what I'm talking about. So... When we say digital gold, what we mean is it's the crypto reserve currency, and that's the term I've taken to using more often. It's a crypto reserve currency. And why is it the crypto reserve currency? Because whenever you want to fund another cryptocurrency and change it into something else, and you go to an exchange, even many of the, 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 the decentralized exchanges, there is always a Bitcoin market, a Bitcoin board that it trades on. So if you have ARK, and you decide, I want R, and you send your R to a, a, a cryptocurrency exchange that also has R, you're not going to see turn ARC into R. You're going to have to turn ARC into one of three that act as a reserve. There'll be a dollar coin, usually Tether, USDT, Ethereum, and Bitcoin. And then R may trade on all three of those boards, or one of those boards, or two of those boards, but if it trades at all, it will trade on the Bitcoin board. 
Meaning there is a constant need for a supply of Bitcoin to fund all these currencies into other currencies. And it's almost universally the case that if you have an exchange where you want to sell your crypto into fiat currency, dollars, yen, whatever, so that you can put it in your bank account and spend it in the world that doesn't take cryptocurrency yet, the only thing you can do that with is Bitcoin. So one of the reasons you might have seen a big premium come out of Coinbase during this big last big Bitcoin run-up that ran up over 35000 is there were people that just wanted cash. And they didn't care if they had to pay a couple hundred dollars a unit more because they wanted the cash now. They wanted to get out and go into cash for whatever reason. They didn't feel comfortable with the U.S. dollar. Or maybe they even did and they needed to go there to get into the dollar coin. But if you look around... Yes, you'll find exchanges that use Tether or another dollar coin or Ethereum as a reserve. But almost all of them include Bitcoin in that list. So that creates this constant need. Now, when you take that and you couple it with the first side of the argument about digital scarcity, only 21 million Bitcoins ever, what you really need to understand is because it has the first mover advantage and the reserve status, which is because of the first mover advantage, It is the one that people most want to own. People have the most confidence that it will be. It's been here 11 years. It'll probably be here 11 more. This other thing I don't really understand yet, I'm not so sure. So the average investor coming to cryptocurrency and saying, you know, I'd like to put a little bit of my money in this, that's the first place they go. And it's the first place most of the time they have to go. You come to a, like, a, the, like a, the biggest exchange there is for, for the average consumer, Coinbase, You do all your KYC, bank account, and all that shit. The first thing you buy is Bitcoin. They make you. You can't come in and buy Litecoin for cash. You have to buy Bitcoin and then buy other things with Bitcoin. So since people buy it first, they tend to want to keep some of it. So what happens? Because now there's ETFs that you know invest in Bitcoin and things like that. And the mainstream, the powers that be, the corporate apparatus and the government, the state, have decided not to kill this thing, but to attempt to, to make as much as they can off of it. So it's only a matter of time before it becomes really easy and really well known that if you have an IRA or something like that, you can buy Bitcoin. Maybe not directly, maybe not the way that we would tell you to buy Bitcoin, but you can use the money that's sitting in your IRA and throw a little bit in some Bitcoin. Same way you would buy a silver ETF in an IRA. Okay. So what happens when, I don't know, everybody with an IRA in the United States with more than $400,000 in it, that's a pretty small segment of the total, decides they want, hey, you know, it's thirty grand for a Bitcoin or twenty grand if it goes back down or fifty grand if it goes up, whatever. I'd like to have a quarter of a Bitcoin in my IRA. Can't be done. There's not enough. There are huge reserves being held by entities that are not giving it up. There's tons of it split up among smallholders that are not giving it up. And there's only so much new Bitcoin every year. That's just the United States. Look at the rest of the developed world. And look at the, the parts of the world that have embraced this way more than we have, like South Korea and Japan and even China. And when you start getting massive competition for the scarce amount of Bitcoin that's left, and it is true scarcity, it's not an artificial scarcity. You can't make more of it. You can make another currency, but you can't make another Bitcoin that is the original Bitcoin. It's like the original Coke. You can change the formula and people dump it out in the street. It will not. Nobody's cracked it yet to where somebody will say, this is the new king of the hill. And as long as that's the case, when you hear people making predictions, like someday Bitcoin's going to be worth $200,000 or half a million dollars. I'm not saying they're right. I'm saying they have good reason to speculate on that because it would happen tomorrow. If 5% of the people in America that have IRAs with more than $200,000 in it decided they wanted $10,000 worth of Bitcoin, which is only 5% of their holdings. So 5% of people want 5% of their holdings in Bitcoin? It's, it's done. The math says so. And it's though, so when you hear somebody give you the second explanation I gave you, they're giving you half the story. When you hear them give you the first explanation I give you, they're giving you half the story. Until those two things come together, you can't explain $30,000 Bitcoin. When they come together, you're not even surprised by it. I'll put it to you this way as I finish up today. Went a little long because this is a hard subject to understand. Okay? If I understood cryptocurrency in 2012, the way I do today, I would be a billionaire. 
And I want to be clear what I mean by that. Because anybody that could go back to like 2012 and knew Bitcoin would be worth $30,000 would just buy a shitload of it. I wouldn't have to know the price. Everything I would have needed to know in 2012 had I looked and sought to understand before I blocked it with my mind like so many people do with crypto. Because I did too at the beginning. It didn't make sense. Had I opened my mind back then and understood back then, just the knowledge of that I gave you today would have been enough that I probably would have put about $20,000 into Bitcoin when it was under a dollar. And when it started going up, I would have kept throwing more money into it. Do what you want with that. But if you really ever wondered, why the hell is this one cryptocurrency such a titan and worth so much more than everything else? That's the best explanation I can give you. We'll catch you tomorrow. Hey folks, Jack here with another episode of Miyagi Mornings on a dreary, dark, and gray Wednesday morning. A little bit chilly. Um, good news, though, for us today is since it's dreary and dark and there's not sun blazing on this place like there is a lot in the morning, i got good lighting. I can give you a video in front of the big Miyagi. So today what we're going to talk about is the concept of even if it's not your fault, it is your problem. I'm going to make a little bit of a gear shift today, and instead of being kind of like your older brother that just came back from the Marine Corps to kick you in the ass and tell you to get up off the couch and go do something with your life, be a little bit more like your grandfather, a little more compassionate, a little more gentle. And I am a grandfather, so I have experience in this. But I'll also tell you from experience with my grandparents and uh, of being a grandparent, grandfathers have a way of... Of, of striking a nerve while being compassionate, and maybe even more so than when they're being brutal, so strap in anyway. So, this is something that kind of adds to yesterday's episode, where we had a very young white male explaining to me how I was a privileged white male, and that's why I had things that he didn't, which, as I said yesterday, you can only fault that person so much because they're defaulting to their training. And when put under stress... You default to training. You learn that in the military. So whatever you people say you default to your highest level of training. No, you default to your lowest level of training. The higher the stress, the lower the level of training you default to. So you want to push the training as high as possible so that the minimum level is sufficient to keep people alive. That's the military. So people default to that primal reptile instinct, that survival mode in their training when they're put in a situation. So... Believe it or not, for some people being told, hey, look, this is what you got to do with your life in the coming decades if you want freedom in it, it's very stressful for people that think, I can't do that. They think that, not that they, they, they would be nice or whatever, but they really believe, like, there's no way I can ever do that, and their default training is it's somebody else's fault. Here's the problem with that thinking, and this is not for those people today, by the way, that I've shifted gears with my uh, tone. It's for the people that listen to me, they generally agree, they nod their head, and then they still don't go do what needs to be done. Because we all do it at times. It's a matter of degrees. How, how, how consistently do you not do what needs to be done in your life to get what you want? Because those people can be helped. Those people can look at something with logic and reason and, and more and more every day grow a little bit in their walk so that they take a little bit more and more responsibility. And so when people tell me, you don't understand all these things that happen to me, they're both correct and they're both incorrect, okay? And, and what I mean by that is, do I understand exactly what happened to you? Well, given that I talk to a quarter million people a day with my podcast, no, I don't. I can't. If I, if I wanted to, I couldn't. If I know somebody really well and I, know, I can tell you their story, I, I still don't understand it from their eyes and from their soul and from their heart. I understand it better than I understand what you're telling me in a YouTube comment about why you can't, but no one can ever fully understand anybody else's problems. It doesn't fucking matter. Okay, kids? It doesn't fucking matter. It's still your problem. And when I look at some people who use this excuse and look at all the options that I can come up with off the top of my head of things they could do to make their life a little bit better, and I think of some of the stories that I know of people who have really suffered and had nothing to do with their suffering, and still went on with their lives. When I look at the contrast in that, I just think it's so sad. And, and I'm telling you, the people you need to share this one with are the young people. The young people are still open to the fact that they can change their lives. People in their 20s, especially if they've been through the damn university system. The university system is a disaster today. It destroys minds. It destroys capability. It destroys responsibility. 
It destroys initiative. It is the worst thing that has happened to our country, and I would say to the developed world in the last 50 years is the university system. I know that's hard to take, but it is, because why we have people that can't understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. If you're a 20-something, and this makes a little bit of sense to you, hang on, we're going we're gonna to keep going from here. Here's an example. I know a lady named Lynn Albright. I've met her in real life a couple times. She's the mother of, a, of a, a young man named Ross Albright. Ross built a website where illegal activity occurred. But that's all he did. He built a website. And he's in prison, in federal prison, for double life plus 40. No chance of ever seeing the sun again. Every appeal, every option has been exhausted. Lynn has worked for years trying to do anything for her son. And she's a broken person in some ways. When I met her the first time, I said, oh, my God, you're Lynn Albright. And I just hugged her because it was all I had. It's all I could do. And I could, you can feel a person who's broken. But then you feel something else. It's a little bit of steel. And when I look at what Lynn's done, even though her efforts to get her son out of prison have sadly failed, She's done an incredible amount for people in the way that they think about liberty and awakening them to the tyranny that they live under. Because she didn't quit, because even though it wasn't her fault, it is her problem. And that's how problems are. It doesn't matter how you got the problem. If you buy a car, and it's a brand new car, it's supposed to have brand new tires on it, and they put some crappy-ass tire on there that's been patched poorly, and it goes flat in the middle of nowhere, guess what? Guess who has to figure out how to put the spare on the damn tire or call AAA if you have a AAA membership or walk somewhere where you can get... It's all you. And here's the dangerous thing going on in the world today. Not only have been people been convinced that it's not your problem, or it's not your fault, so therefore it's... So not only have people been convinced it's not their fault, they've been convinced that since it's not their fault, which it may or may not be true... Um, but since nothing's your fault, then nothing is your responsibility to correct. Someone else needs to do it for you. And they've been further convinced that the government is going to fix it eventually. This is very, very dangerous. If you went on a hike in the woods and sprained your ankle and couldn't move and couldn't go on, and you were, or you were lost in some way, but people knew that you were supposed to check in, and they knew the general area you were in and where you were going to, you have a reasonable expectation that when you don't check in, they're going to contact authorities and they're going to come find you. And being obnoxious, making a lot of noise, staying in one place, if you do leave, leaving immense sign behind of what direction you've traveled in, starting fires, making smoke, all of that is a great idea. Because somebody is probably going to come find you eventually. And as long as you have enough water, it probably won't, you, you probably won't starve to death before it happens. If you can take care of shelter and water, and you're in that scenario, you'll probably be okay. Unfortunately, many of you see yourselves that way. You're lost on the trail, but you think someone's coming to help you. Now, if you went for a hike out in the middle of nowhere, not on a major trail system where people happen to come by all the time, and you got lost and you knew that nobody knew where you were, it might be a good idea to hunker down for the night so you can get your bearings in the morning, but what's going to happen to you if you stay there and wait for someone to come get you? You're going to die. You're going to sit there and die. You're going to sit there and die with, this isn't my fault in your mind, when actually it is your fault. But let's imagine that it wasn't your fault. Let's come up with another scenario. A bunch of guys grab you for no reason at all, throw you in the back of a dark van, drive you out in the middle of the woods and throw your ass out in the pitch black dark of night and leave in a spiral pattern where you can't tell where they went and or drop you off in a helicopter. And you know no one's coming. But you convince yourself, since it's not your fault, somebody should come. So I'm going to wait. You people that are waiting on solutions from the government for the problems in your life, that's you. You're sitting in the middle of the wilderness. You're waiting on an E&E team that is not coming to get you. But it's not your fault. Again, it doesn't matter. If you're in that scenario... Even if you fail in your attempt to extract yourself, the only one that can extract yourself is you. And this is my final point with this and what you really need to understand. No one cares about you and your life and your problems and your solutions and your happiness more than you. 
No one will work harder in your life than you will, and most of you are not working that hard in your life. So how hard do you think a politician who's being paid off by a K Street lobbyist, regardless of the initial after their name, is going to work for you? And the answer is they're not working for you at all. They don't give a flying shit about you. They never did and they never will. Even the ones that go there with the right heart, the system destroys that heart in a matter of months. It's not designed to work for you. It's designed to work for the people that pay them, not that pay the bills. You pay the bills, they pay the employees. Those are the people you think of as public servants. And there's so many other examples of this in your life. If you're waiting for a solution, you're sitting in the woods, all alone, in the cold, with limited supplies... Somehow you got there that wasn't your fault. You were abducted by aliens and dropped off in the middle of the Bob Marshall wilderness, but you've convinced yourself someone's coming. Nobody's coming. Nobody's coming to save you. But you can build what you want in your life if you step up to the plate and you realize no matter what's wrong in your life, no matter why it happened, no matter how responsible you are for it or how how matter how not responsible you are for the bad things. And everybody's life works this way. There's a group of things that you're totally not responsible for, there's a group of things that you're partially responsible for, and there's a group of things that you're 100% responsible for. Guess what? They're all your problem, guys. I'll be with you tomorrow with another episode. Good morning, guys and gals. Welcome to Miyagi Mornings, episode 29, I believe it is. And uh, for those watching the video versus listening to the recap podcast on a Saturday, I am in my office versus out at one of the Miyagis, which is where we got the name Miyagi Mornings from. It's a little chilly, but that's not the real problem. I don't mind being a little cold to do the stuff outside by the Miyagi, which is a pond for those that are new. Um, it's the wind. The wind is howling through the trees out there, and if I were out there, you would hear me like, hi, this is... And that's not good. Audio is key when it comes to producing video, believe it or not. All right, so today, I looked back at some of the questions that have come in over the last 20-odd episodes of Miyagi Mornings, and one was, what about tips for people that want to start a business? You're big on business, but what about the person that's sitting there going, I want to do this, but I don't know. This is difficult to condense into a 7 to 10 minute video segment. It really is. I've done entire shows on this. There's tons. If you go to the survivalpodcast.com and uh, use the entrepreneurship tab, it would probably be the best one. You can find tons of shows where I've broken down this stuff into uh, incredible different layers of discipline in, in business from marketing to financial analysis and, and everything else. Um, I actually have some of my material is being used by professors and universities to, that are teaching business and marketing and sales to, to their people. So there is that level there. I can't do that in something like this, obviously, and you'd get bored uh, if I tried to. So here's the deal. There's a place in business, and this is where I want to start out, for what you call irrational exuberance. I'm just going to do this thing, and I'm just going to do it, and I'm going to keep doing it, and I'm going to see if it works, and I'm going to learn from the failures, and I'm going to keep going. And that is mainly with sweat equity, right? Now, we're going to talk about you're going to have to put some money into any legitimate business, period. But when it comes to, like, major capital, irrational exuberance is a formula for going bankrupt. So when you're talking about putting real skin in the game, thousands of dollars and up, you don't just throw money into a business when you don't know what it is yet. And when you don't have any track record or experience with business, when it comes to putting money into a business beyond the little base amount that we're going to talk about here in a second... I want you to think about it this way. If I were not me, if I were my friend, and my friend had my track record, and my friend asked me for $7,500 or $10,000 to invest in his business as a partner financially, would I give him the money? And if your answer is no, I, if my friend was me and knew what I knew and was going forward with this thing and asked me for $7,500 as a financial stake in the business where I'd get my money back when he got his money back plus a return, I wouldn't give it to him. Don't give it to yourself. See how simple that is? And so many people will give the money to themselves when they damn well wouldn't give it to anybody exactly like them as a pure investor. So that's, your, that's kind of your first threshold with the money. What I'm talking about irrational exuberance, though, is most businesses can be started on some level of a bootstrap. 
right? I know a guy who runs a full-time kind of microgreens farm now, but he started with, you know, a couple plastic shelves and some lights and some trays under a thousand bucks and he was in business. And if he had completely flopped and failed, he's out a thousand bucks. Plus, you know, he learned something like the tuition, like you could never buy a business course for a thousand bucks and learn what that would have taught him even if he failed. So that's an okay investment. And the irrational exuberance was, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to start knocking on doors. I'm going to start talking to chefs. I'm going to talk to anybody I can. I'm going to try to sell my stuff. I'm going to get some revenue, and then I'm going to figure out what to do with it. Great. That's where you should start 99% of the time. If you have to ask me how to start a business, then everything beyond that, you haven't learned yet. And you need to understand something. People look at someone like me and say, well, wow, Jack... Jack's done so many things that have worked. I also did a whole shitload of things that failed, and none of you paid attention to me when I was doing it because I wasn't public about it. And I wasn't not public about it because I didn't want to be public about failure. I wasn't public about it because I wasn't a public personality. You know, back in the 1990s, I was making a lot of money in sales, but I was still hustling my ass off with side hustles, learning how to build websites and do marketing and search engine optimization and all that stuff, and it led me down this path. And where I started was... Long-distance phone service. And I made some money on it. And in fact, I made some money on that business enterprise until about three years ago. So that went almost 20 years of money still came in. Small amounts, but it still came in. I still have money coming in from websites that are kind of like my second generation where I was doing like Google AdSense on websites and stuff. Like people make money with YouTube with that, but it still goes on regular websites. I still make 100 bucks a month off of that. But it's not a success. I can't live on it. But it was all part of learning. And So how does you go from building websites to sell somebody long-distance service to being a podcaster in, like, you know, self-reliance and self-sufficiency, independence, and liberty, which is what the survival podcast is all about? You, you, you go on a walk. But it started with irrational exuberance. It didn't cost me a lot of money. I learned about hosting and all that stuff. So you got to do that. The big thing you have to not do when you start out in a business, and this is the most difficult thing for people to do, you have to separate work, effort, doing something from being productive. When we go to our jobs, our J-O-Bs, as long as whatever we're doing, moving around, sitting in a place, bullshitting at the freaking water cooler, stamping something on an assembly, whatever it is, whatever the productivity threshold is for our supervisor and his supervisor. Basically, if my boss, my boss's name doesn't get said to my boss's boss because of me, I'm golden. Right? As long as, you understand that, right? That's your, when you have a job, that's your job. Whoever your boss is, You want to make sure that his name doesn't get spoken to his boss because of something you did wrong. And as long as you maintain that level of productivity threshold, you're golden. So we become conditioned to believe action and movement, and massive action matters, just like this shirt here I got from John Willis, right? Right. Move with purpose, massive action is important, but the correct action is important. So what happens is Joe decides he wants a business, and he spends like four months building a website, where Joe could have took $500 and paid somebody to build him a website and got on with running the business. He thinks those four months of work count. Well, if Joe's going to be doing a lot of graphics design and web development in his business, they do. They're tuition. He just paid the bill for his tuition, and that learning will go forward. If he just finally got his website done and now he's ready to launch his business, those four months were mostly wasted. If he's not going to use whatever skills he learned doing that, those skills were wasted. And they count nothing for productivity. Because if he's going to sell widgets or a widget service, right, until he starts pushing the widget, getting feedback, adjusting the messaging in the product so that customers will pay for it, you're not doing any work. Not work that you get paid for. Your productivity threshold is now measured in revenue, not hours. And you can spend 14 hours a day literally, physically, mentally killing yourself and have a goose egg for productivity. So whatever it is that you're going to do, you have to focus on the productivity. How do I get this thing, whatever it is that I have, conveyed in such a way to another person where they perceive enough value in it to return to me some, some form of tendered capital? That's the, and that is the key. 
And all the things you can do to fine-tune and move a business up, those are all great, and you'll learn as you go. But you need like people are like, well, I don't expect to have any revenue in my business for a year. Now, you could have a reason for that. Right? I did. My reasoning was I'm building a podcast, a content-based business. I don't need to take any money out of it, but I know where I'm going. Very seldom is that the case. Most people that say, well, I don't plan on making any money from my business for a year. You're never going to make any money at all from your business ever. You're, you would probably come out ahead if you took $5,000, walked out your back door, threw it in the furnace, and burned it. You'd come out ahead. Because you're probably, if you're going to do that, you're probably going to sink ten dollars to $15,000 into your business and never make any money if you're not planning on making some money somewhere in the short term. Again, unless you know exactly what you're doing and exactly why you're doing it. And so I know that's difficult. So the big advice I have for you then is if your business needs a website, and it probably does, and if you don't build websites, then the best thing you can probably do is hire somebody to build a, a, just a stock website for you. Use WordPress. It's infinitely expandable, and it can be done in other things. Get some decent graphics. You can probably get that done for $100 to $150. Bucks. You have a person build a site, and if they do graphics, great. If they don't, hey, let's do it like this and tell me my dimensions for my header and my footer and my graphics. And boom, get that, drop that in, and then, yes, learn how to add a page. Learn how to do a post. And then learn as much as you need to know about your website to do what your website needs to do to promote your business. For some people, that's daily content. For some people, that's just when someone checks you out or looks for Duck Eggs in Fort Worth, they need to find a static website so they can find you. Define which one that is and then get that done and then do everything else designed. Come see what I have. And this is the number one reason I see people with businesses fail. They'll say, can you talk to me about my business? And if I finally agree to do it, because I hate doing this, by the way. I do not do consulting. Do not ask. You cannot afford me. And if you can, I might raise my price just so you can't because I don't want to do it. But I'll say, okay, well, tell me what you do. And that person will talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And I won't ask, ask any questions. I'll listen until the talking stops. And nine times out of ten, I'm like, I, I still have no fucking idea what you do. And you don't either. You should be able to convey what you do in five sentences maximum and close it. If you can't do that, you have no idea of the value proposition you're making so your customer doesn't know either. Five sentences and one sentence to close, and that's maximum. You, you might be able to do it with one sentence and one sentence to close. And if you can, you should. If you can, you should. And if you can't do it, that's where you need to start. Write down a single paragraph, four to five sentences and a close. And subscribe because, and buy because, and if you don't want to buy this, buy that. You can't do it, you don't know what you're doing. Figure out what you're doing and then be able to convey it and somebody might actually buy from you. Because until they buy from you, you're not in business. You don't have customers. A person that looks at your shit but doesn't buy from you is not a customer. Don't confuse that. That's another big mistake. Anyway, I hope this gets you in the right mindset. You can do this. Pour the irrational exuberance into the sweat equity, but make sure the sweat equity is something that, that sees to the long-term uh, needs of the business. If you're going to constantly be needing to do web work in your business then learning how to do that is good sweat equity. If you're going to put up a website and all you're going to do is make posts, pay somebody else to do that shit. Start thinking like an entrepreneur. The problem is, the last problem I'll give you is so many people come into a business like this. Yeah, I don't want you to pour tons of money in it. But at 500 to a couple thousand bucks, you're going to have to do that if you're serious. right? And it, what happens is people start thinking like employees. i got to save money, save money. On some levels, as an entrepreneur, you have to invest in yourself. Just be careful how much and how. I'll get with you guys tomorrow with another subject. Hey, guys and gals. Jack here rounding out Miyagi Mornings for the week with episode 30 on a Friday. And uh, we're going to kind of continue with a theme that we've, we, we've hit on a few times this week, which is accomplishing things, getting things done, in this case, buying land, and dealing with this, this mental attitude that, honestly, people that are this mired in it I'm encouraged that you follow me. I really am. You, because like the comment that I'm actually commenting on today didn't come from YouTube. It came from my, my podcast, which is a much bigger audience. But 
in general, I get a lot less of this out of my podcast audience than my YouTube audience. My YouTube channel is so varied and goes into so many things with permaculture and homesteading and stuff like that that I have people that follow me on YouTube that have no idea what I'm really all about until they find out, then they shriek. Um, but I did an episode yesterday about a little bit about what went on with the Capitol But how it's not really that. It's just how that's accelerating all these other reasons that I've been telling people to get out of the damn cities and get onto a decent little piece of land. And again, I'm not talking about thousands of acres here. What I said yesterday is if it lays right, an acre is plenty for most people, uh, especially if you're strategic with where and who your neighbors are and things like that. And I got another one of these people, not as bad as the one that made me flip out on you and drop elbows on your head on, on Monday, but basically it, 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 saying that... It might as well, owning land for him may as well not even exist because it's so far out of reach because of ridiculous prices. So what I'm talking about today is how to, how to get on a piece of land that you can own or at least control. And the first thing you have to do, and I know I say this so often, but it's because it's true and I can't make it untrue for you, okay? You have to change your thinking first, This is not some pie-in-the-sky bullshit, you know, positive, everyone loves me, and I'm going to have a million dollars, so a million dollars will just show up, right? The, 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 the power of positive thinking is limited. It absolutely is. It can only do so much for you, but it's what leads to your actions. But let me tell you something about the power of negative thinking. It's fucking unlimited. The power of negative thinking has no fucking limit. None. You can completely destroy your life to oblivion with negative thinking. There's no limits to how far it can fuck you in your life. None. Zero. And until you understand that, you'll be willing to let yourself keep doing it because it's like a fucking drug. Right? When you think negatively about something that you'd want to do, I can't do that because fill in the fucking blank with whatever you want, okay? No matter what it is, if you think that way, as bad as it is, again, it's like using a hard drug. It makes you feel better to where you actually become addicted to it. And the way you deal with the pain of not having what you want is to take another drug, which is there's no way I can do that. And once you become addicted to it, it is very difficult to break the addiction. And the danger is that, have you ever heard of a functional addict? There's people who basically ruin their lives because their potential is way, way high and where they realize their, their life is very, very low. But it's that low is high enough to fit in with the bottom to the middle of society. And they can live their whole life with drugs taking their money and their ambition and their health. And maybe they die 10 years earlier or something like that. But basically they look functional. I don't want to take the drugs away, but I don't think they should be using them. This is what often happens to people with negative thinking. They're okay. But then they're infinitely limited. So how do you get on a piece of land? You start by turning the damn mental computer on and putting good code instead of shitty code into your head. Got it? Good code versus shitty code. Most of you... Especially to have this, well, I'll never be able... You're writing shitty code. Any computer programmer would tell you, garbage in what? Garbage out. You're putting garbage into your computer. You are the programmer of this brain in your head. It is a computer. It is a self-learning computer. And every time you say some stupid shit like, it might as well not even exist, you're telling your brain, I want you to make sure that I can't do this. I want you to make sure that I come up with an excuse or a, something to sabotage myself every time I get close to it. And guess what? Those of you with this mindset, I could literally give you a suitcase with $50,000 in cash in it, come back in two years, and your life will suck worse than it does right now because of shitty programming. I'll give you more power to fuck your life up with. So the way you, you approach this is, first of all, most of you people saying this, I always ask, what have you done? What have you done to get yourself onto a piece of land? And it doesn't have to be land. It could be anything, right? What have you done to get this thing that you say you can't have? 
And no matter what kind of bullshit comes out, the real answer is not much or absolutely nothing. With land, I would start with, do you know where you want to live? Because a lot of you are like, their land prices are ridiculous. Well, why? Because where are you looking? If land is really, really expensive in a place, right now, most of those places are places you probably shouldn't be anyway for the long-term, long-term health of your life. So go somewhere else. Sometimes 30 miles drops the price per acre by 50%. So where do you want to live? And I had a question about that today. What state should I move to? Is a blue air or a red area of Virginia good enough? Or I really need to move to a place like Tennessee? I don't know. I can't tell you what state is right for you anymore, and I can tell you what flavor of ice cream you're going to like best. You have to, like, figure it out. So you start running an analysis, right? This will turn the computer on. You start running positive programming. Where can I afford to buy land? How can I get more money? What can I do to finance land other than beg a bank for money? How can I get a piece of land where the bank's dumb enough to give me the money? I probably can't really responsibly afford this, but if I do these things with the land, now it can pay for itself. And you just keep going. But no, isn't it easier to just be like, I can never do it, it's not fair, blah, 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 frickin' blah. And I'll tell you the truth. I had intended to do this episode a little more low-key like I did one of the other episodes this, this week. I really did. Because I feel for the person asking the question. I do. But I, I, as I started doing this, I realized it won't work to be passive with you at this point when you've reached this level. You need a fucking intervention, just like a drug addict, if this is you. You can't be this way and ever get shit in your life. And for some of you, the reason I get this way, I want success for you more than you fucking want success for yourself. Isn't that crazy? Some dude that has it made, according to you, some dude that's rich, according to you, don't even know what rich is in your freaking mind, wants you to succeed. It's more important to me that you succeed than it is to you that you succeed. And you know why? Because in this eight minutes that I've been on the air with you right now, I've already done more work for you than you've done for you in getting your mind in the right place to figure shit out because you haven't even asked these questions yet. And for those that are, you know, like thinking, man, I, he ain't talking about me because I... Good. Good. I bet you can still learn from it. Because we all do it. I do it. As motivated as I am, as successful as I am, I do it. I'm like, wow, I would really... And as soon as I, as soon as I hear myself say, I really... And don't even get the wish out. This is... Stop that. I've trained myself as a programmer. You're writing shitty code, Jack. So let's, let's be honest now. Do you, do you really want this thing? And are you willing to give up the other things necessary to have it? Or is it just one of those things like, yeah, if somebody gave me $50 million, I'd go get this too. Because then that makes me go, okay, well, if I really want it, how can I have it? And then when I get that plan, I go, okay, is it worth it? But I don't ever sit there and say, well, I'll never have it. Because I know, I absolutely know. There's things I'm not sure about, guys. There's things I'm doing my best with. Plenty of times I say, I think. But I know. I absolutely know. While the power of positive thinking has limits, the power of negative thinking is limitless. Don't let it limit you. Catch yourself every time you say something like, it would be nice if, I wish I could, I will never be it. Stop. Mid-sentence. And use the command line programming in your mind. I didn't mean that. That is the wrong way to think about this. That's code. Every, every thought, every word, spoken, thought, or written is code into your computer. Be mindful of that. Be careful. Quit writing shitty code. And change it to, every time you think, I wish I could, fill in the blank. Change it to, how can I fill in the blank? It doesn't mean that everything you come up with you'll have. But you'll change your thinking. And I'm sick and tired of people telling me, oh, it's easy to say that now because you're successful. One more time. You have to change your thoughts first. It's very hard to accept. 
and it's very hard to believe, and it leads to a personal gut check of realizing that a lot of your misery, even if some of it's not your fault, much of it is. It sucks. It's like a drug addict hitting rock bottom. But what does that drug addict have to do? They have to decide if they want to live or they want to die, or they want to continue destroying their life. They want to, do they want to keep saying, I don't have a problem? Or do they want to change their life? It's absolutely no different. And remember that. Final words to you. The power of negative thinking is unlimited. The only thing that limits it is your choice not to use it. With that, hope you guys enjoyed this week. I'll be back next week with more Miyagi Mornings. Remember, you can catch the entire week in a recap episode on Saturday mornings. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Miyagi Morning Recap. Remember, I do Miyagi Mornings to create short and shareable content for your friends and family who may not be up to listening to an entire podcast. Each of these segments from today's show is only five to eight minutes long and can be shared as both YouTube or Odyssey videos. Links to the video files for each segment are in today's show notes. If you want to submit a question for Miyagi Mornings, just email jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com with Miyagi Mornings in the subject line. All subjects other than politics are welcome for this special series.